Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. With me today, I've got Linda Eagleton from my team, MI team for mortgages and insurance. And today we're going to be talking about loan to value restrictions for investors. So we did the first home buyers last week, and this week we're going to be talking about investors and bank rules for lending and some different options that are available if you might not qualify for um, one of the main bank's loans. So welcome along. Thanks for joining us again, Linda. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. All right, so what's the skinny? Tell us about what's going on with bank rules at the moment for investors. Yeah, so we're just heading into the um, end of the 70% LVR, so the 30% deposit required with banks. This was being phased in, so we're just about to head in as from end of um, April. We're heading into the 40% deposit required and 60% LVR for lending. So you will be required from the uh, 1st of May, and actually you are required now for any new loan application. This is just allowing people that have an approval in the system at the moment to settle by the end of April. So as of the 1st of May, we will be required to have a 40% uh, deposit for any loan application or equity in another home. So when it comes to applying for a a loan with a bank, what's the best way to go about doing that? Because all the banks are quite different, aren't they, with their lending rules for investors? They're different in terms of their servicing rules, but the LVR rules or the deposit that's required is deemed by the Reserve Bank. All the main banks anyway have to be under that rule. So if they get their funding from New Zealand, which all of our banks do, then they are governed by the ruling of the Reserve Bank. In terms of serviceability, and that's where we get a big difference between one bank and another bank and what someone can borrow. So that's down to individual uniqueness of the of the customer and what the servicing capacity is. And if we need to push that, then we might need to refinance them and push them out to another bank that is servicing and lending a little bit more than another bank. So there's lots of little requirements for um, the things that determine that. It might be the scaling of the interest that they take. It might be their test rate, which we talk about quite often. That you know the banks have a different test rate in terms of how they're assessing your affordability. So that's not the current interest rates that you see that you'll pay. They'll be as high as 6.45 is the worst and down as low as 5.5. So that can make a big difference as to what you are able to get in terms of an approval from a bank as opposed to another bank. There might be little things also in there that some banks will take KiwiSaver off your income if you're paying KiwiSaver, other banks won't. And that little bit there makes a big difference as well. In terms of serviceability, the banks differ. In terms of the LVR rules, are all governed by the Reserve Bank at the moment. So we're heading into that 40%, which can be, um, you, you can still borrow 100% of the property that you're buying, but you have to have 40% available to you in the equity of another property. You can use equity in your home, for example, or another rental property to fund the yeah. deposit on another one. So essentially you're getting 100% lending. Nothing's changed there. Yep. Okay, excellent. And what's happening as far as revolving credit facilities and things like that? Because we used to be able to set up revolving credit facilities quite easily. It's a bit, diff- bit mm. more difficult now, isn't it? Yeah, the revolving credit facilities are a liability for the bank. So with that, they're a liability in two ways. It's funding that they've linked out that they that um, they have no control over. And anti-money laundering is a bit of an issue for them too. They have no control over where money's spent. You'll find when you go to the bank now and ask for lending, you've actually got to prove what you need the money for. It used to be, oh, we just want to have some money so we can access it whenever we want to. Uh, so that's less easy to get now. So, yep, it is a little bit harder to get revolving credits. And we do have to actually now state why the customer wants revolving credit and why it's right for you. Um, but they're definitely there and still accessible. 
I I have heard horror stories where banks pulling them back and and telling people they have to have a lesser on revolving credit, but I haven't come across that with any of my clients at all. I've got customers with quite large revolving credits, and as long as they're using them responsibly, at the stage yet we haven't got any customer um, that's been needed to pull it back. I've had a couple of customers that have said um, the bank has said use it or lose it, so it's just sitting there not being used, and they've said, oh, you know, you probably have to start using it a little bit, just so it's not sitting there as something that they can't control. Okay. It's definitely still there, but you can't just walk into the bank and say, I want a 100,000 revolving credit so I can use it to buy an investment property because the issue for them is that they've got no control over them, what are you going to do with that money and then what sort of lending you're getting elsewhere. So when we go to a bank for an approval just to get excess money for a deposit, that bank is also counting into their servicing what you're going to get in another bank because they're funding the deposit to get there and they're legally obliged putting you into that contract to buy that property so they've got to also include the debt that you will get at another bank. Okay. And and when it comes to serviceability, like you're having your provable income to be able to fund uh, the servicing of a mortgage on a rental property, it's not just your income, is it? So the banks will take a percentage of the rental income and yeah, add yeah. to your personal provable? Yeah, yep, so that's right. Yep. Is there any noise about that changing with these new tax rules? <sighs> there is some noise. The interesting thing is ANZ come out to us and said there's no change immediately as soon as the investor rules came out and we're not changing our servicing. But then they immediately came into the media and said we are reviewing our servicing. We haven't heard anything official, but I'm in a few group chats with some um, quite large broker groups and the, the feeling is that they probably will have a look at that in terms of how much they'll use in terms of scale back the rental income. So at the moment, they're scaling back around the 70 to 75% is what they use. So we've got that 30 to 25% taking scaling to allow for your management fees, to allow for the costs of your investment property and to allow for, it's not a salary that it's guaranteed, supposedly guaranteed full time. You might have time without a tenant. So that's what that allows for. I guess what they need to look at now, if there's going to be a cost that they haven't encountered in terms of interest service deductibility, then they might scale it back. So I can't answer that one for sure yet, and I wouldn't want to over, you know, preempt something that doesn't happen. So fingers crossed it doesn't, and we get on with it, but who knows. But yeah. we will update you the minute we do know that. Absolutely, we'll do another podcast. Yeah, I think that would be really important because, you know, mm. these things can change quite quickly, can't they? I mean, that was a, a bit of a shock announcement from the government last Tuesday about, you know, removing the tax deductibility for interest on mortgages. That's going to have a big impact on, on a lot of people's cash flow. But I think there's also a fair bit of misunderstanding out in the media about that as well, yes. uh, certainly in the general public, because I know the people that we've spoken to, not clients of Property Apprentice, because we've kept them pretty well informed already, but the general public, they seem to think that, you know, if they're on a 30% tax rate, for example, for every $100 that they receive in rent, they'll be paying $30 in tax. And it's not quite like that. You still get to deduct other expenses like rates and insurance. And it's just a portion, rent. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's just so a portion just, of the deductibility. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So I think it is really important <laughs> now for anyone who's looking at, uh, at the purchasing an investment property, it's really important that you crunch the numbers on your after-tax cash flow. We always used to say, you know, I mean, at Property Apprentice, we've been saying for over 10 years, don't rely on tax benefits to make a deal work because they can change them in a heartbeat. And I hate to say, told you so in this sort of situation. Mm. But yeah, this is 
absolutely happened. So um, yeah. yeah, really important that that all investors crunch the numbers on the after-tax cash flow before mm. they decide whether or not they're comfortable with that. Now, when it mm. comes to applying for a loan through a mortgage advisor such as yourself, because banks are still quite busy, aren't they? Banks are really busy. So I was talking to a bank yesterday and they said they've definitely seen a slowdown. Um, and some that banks probably got the worst turnaround time, so it's probably that slowdown might be more of us trying to avoid them as much as possible unless we need to go there. And when you um, slow down, you mean in the, a slowdown in the number the of applications coming in? Yeah, okay. so whether that's actually the market or advisors pretty much just saying you're a little bit too long. But we do have, I, I'm beginning to say to customers that once the information comes into me, you're really looking at a month-long process to get the application out the other end of the bank. And the reason for that is, in a month, I like to over-talk it. It'll be ideally is around that, but it will be three to four weeks. And the reason for that is it needs to sit on my desk for a, a few days or a week to get the application. There's a little bit of work that we need to go through to make sure. We're pretty much writing a credit report, doing a full assessment, making sure this can work. We've got to go through your bank statements, do everything that the bank would do. Um, we've got to assess that and make sure we're submitting an application that's going to get a yes for you. So that takes us a few days and a few weeks to work through. So as long as all of the information's in, that's the best way. And we've got really good facilities now that help you get information into us. So it's very easy. Information comes in, we'll spend about a week. It's going to sit in that queue for two to three weeks. Now, we're finding pre-approvals nearly three weeks sitting in that queue. If you're on a contract on a property, then they'll get picked up first. So banks are prioritising people that are under contract on a property and have timeframes that they need to meet, and quite rightly so. And the pre-approvals are in the background now. If, you, if you've done a pre-approval, if we've been, submitted an application for a pre-approval and the bank's taking any time, we're pretty much knowing we've had a discussion about what you, we think you can buy for and everything like that. There's nothing to stop you at that point to be going out and looking at a property. And if while you're in that queue, you've gone to contract on a property, then we'll move you up the queue and communicate that with the bank and say, right, this one's now not a pre-approval. We've now got these timeframes and we now need you to move it. But still, you know, your 15-day due diligence that everyone we all recommend um, with my team and property printers, it's still the absolutely appropriate thing to do. You're doing your due diligence while we're doing your uh, finance. Excellent. So you'd be encouraging people to apply for a pre-approval before they actively start looking for property just to hopefully see Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Especially if we're split banking. So what I mean by split banking is we've gone to your bank for a deposit and then we've gone to another bank for the remainder. So the 60% if we like to talk about that. So especially with those, we're dealing with two banks and two queues and in varying degrees. So sometimes when we've got one bank that says one thing or doesn't quite agree with us or whatever, that can affect the next one. And so it might be that we're moving one around or the other one around or we've got to bring them both together. So an example of a client I've got working with at the moment, we've gone to their bank for a top-up and, and this one's still sitting in the queue. But that took a lot of working around with that bank. So they were coming back going, no, we only see this much. But when I workshopped it with the lender, I could see she was missing a whole lot of information and hadn't calculated some things. We actually got her back to approving it what we wanted. And that all takes a long process. And then we've got to update that bank because the deposit's going to rely on the other bank to what they can lend as well. So, yeah, we've got is, is quite a bit of, moving parts in the system that we've got to work with and that does take time and pre-approvals paramount to that you know 
getting that. So I definitely recommend a pre-approval because I think your finance, like buying the home is pretty tricky. Going out there and finding your home, but equally tricky at the moment is complex is your finance. And so getting that out of the way and having a pre-approval done is gold for you. And how long do pre-approvals last at the moment? They last for 90 days and then we can just get it easily renewed um, and rolled over for another 90 days. And that's just a check-in to say um, that nothing's changed financially for you and we'll just get a little bit of confirmation from you around that. It might just be an email, might be an updated payslip. You're confirming and writing that you've had no significant changes to your financial position for the worse anyway. And as long as that's the case, then we can roll it over for another 90 days. So you get 180 days, six months. Okay, excellent. And so for the six months, if you haven't found a property by that stage, you'd be reapplying for another pre-approval? Starting again, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and right through that pre-approval process, we have to give the bank the most updated information at the time we apply. So if information comes in and then we're still waiting for stuff, we might be coming back to you and asking you for more information again. If that process to get us all of the information is, is, is slow, then we might be always needing to get updated. So the faster it all comes in all together all at once, the better it is for you. So ideally, the perfect client for you would be someone who sent it all at the same time, the latest information, so you didn't have to keep going back to them and saying, oh, you forgot to send me this, or yeah, yeah that makes sense. Because yeah. it's that frustrating for the clients, you know, and, and the process is long and tedious, and I definitely hear it there if I've got some very, very good clients, property printers clients, whatever, that are that are just like, oh, this is so tedious and so long, and it, and it is, absolutely it is. Um, but if all the information comes up, then we can work through it, some, um, process it, write the right, right up for you and get it submitted to the bank. You a lot quicker, and just to clarify for people who got a mortgage several years ago, it's a totally different process these days than it was several years ago. So, you know, we're certainly hearing that from clients of ours who bought a few years ago and then they've been waiting to build up enough equity to buy the next one, then they apply for another mortgage and they're like, Oh my god, (laughs) why do we have to provide so much information now? So, it's just it's the bank rules that have changed. (laughs) It's yeah. not. Well, there's, there's a lot of changes. First of all, it's all about serviceability now. Absolutely. It's equally about equity. If you don't have the deposit, you can't buy anyway. So that's a given. That's always been the gate that's been there for everybody anyway. But as equally as important as serviceability, we used to mitigate a lot um, back in the day. A few years ago, we'd be able to get away with a lot of mitigants around serviceability. But really now, if you had a 90% deposit, but you didn't have the income for 10%, the bank's not an equity lender. The main bank's not the place for you. So, and it is as black and white as that, really. We've got a lot that we've got to work through, and there is a lot of information. And then the regulation changes that we've had just in the last middle of March it has gone through has completely changed our processes again. So if you were dealing with us and working with us even three months, six months ago, the information is the same. But what we have to now go through to provide to you in terms of the statement of advice and why we are recommending this bank and putting you through this process is a complete change, and you'll find that now too. So changes all along. Good changes, though. You should know what's going on with your finance. just takes us a little bit longer. Yeah, it does. So when it comes to, you know, a lot of investors are thinking 40% deposit. I don't have 40% deposit, so I'm out. What message mm. have you got for them? Well, have I got news for you? No, you're not out. <laughs> no, you're not out. When we talk about our lenders, we have uh, main bank lenders. So they're all the big banks that you see, the New Zealand ones and Australian ones that we see. We've got all the main bank lenders there. They are all governed by the Reserve Bank rules, okay? Then we've got non-bank lenders, and we've got a varying degree of non-bank lenders. We've got what I call 
lenders, sort of mid-range non-bank lenders and then non-bank lenders. Now, some of them would be ones that I'd take you to for short-term finance if you're looking to do property trading or something like that. We'd use those funders if we're just looking for something. And classic example, exactly like I said before, clients have had to change circumstances, want to keep their mortgage but don't have the income to service it. So we park it in a non-bank for a little while. But in between that, right sitting behind the banks, is a few lenders. Two that I'd want to recommend to you right now are lending with 30% deposit or 20% deposit. So we've got um, Select, which is part of Bluestone. The Select is a white product label that's available to a select amount of mortgage brokers. A lot of mortgage brokers it's open to, but not every mortgage broker or advisor. And they will lend 80% on an investment property standalone. Okay, so that, that's a very, very good product. They will give interest only for up to three years and five years. When we're talking about serviceability, which we talked about earlier, one of the key differences with serviceability is that the banks are testing your interest rate, your ability to afford your mortgage at a much higher rate. But that's not just the mortgage you're buying or getting. That's also all of your existing lending. So if you've got a sizable portfolio with existing lending, it's all getting assessed at that higher rate. And that's significant. Where Select comes in is they'll look at your actual interest payments. So you're not put through that same servicing test. Now, the interest rate with Select isn't going to be as good as 2.29, but we can get 3.39 for one year from them right now. So that's not that bad. Amazing. Then you get all of that, the bonuses with them. Okay? Yeah. Now, ResiMac also, they're a really good like near-to-bank lender as well. Now, ResiMac have always done 80-80. So what we call 80-80 is they'll do 80% on an investment property as long as they have your own occupied property as well. So that would entail a refinance over to them and both of them at 80%. And those interest rates are pretty good as well. But they've also got a product that they're just launching or they're trialing at the moment that I've available to use, which is 70% on standalone investment properties. Okay. And they will charge a fee for that one. So 1.5% fee and your interest rate will be around that 4.15 for one year. So they're Servicing is pretty good as well in terms of resume. So we've got a couple of options. One size doesn't fit all. It's about finding the best one for you. But we've definitely got options there. And so chat to us because we can help you out. That's awesome. <laughs> Go through all the different options with a client and present them with the one that best suits their situation, wouldn't you? So yeah. So this is, you know, instead of instead of going to the bank yourself and getting a no if you don't meet their criteria, this is the benefit of using an independent mortgage advisor like Linda or the team of other mortgage advisors at my team. Worth your weight in gold, we've found. And since they get paid by the lenders, unless there is a fee for setting up the lending, then it doesn't cost you anything. So... So, like, I mean, we've always recommended mortgage advisors and the team at my team we've been working with for a long time now too. So Paul and I actually bought into the business a couple of years ago, just in case um, anyone's watching this that missed one of the earlier podcasts when I mentioned that. Uh, we are part owners of my team, but uh, we've been recommending my team for a, a 10-year period now. So, <laughs> so yeah, really yeah. Good what they do. So to get in touch with my team, you can either email office or call the 0800 number, which is 0800 882299. Is that right? That's right. Yes. That's perfect. I'm really bad at remembering phone numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and when you ring that phone number, you'll get hold of Emma or Jenna, and then they'll start the process with you and then forward you through to either Tracy or myself. 
Excellent. And so either Tracy or yourself, you'll be able to help get someone ready for lending Absolutely. as well. So if, the, if, you, if you need to tidy up a few things, you know, as a potential investor, if there's a few yeah. things in your bank accounts that you need to sort out first, then um, these guys will let you know what you need to do to get a yes. Well, whether you're looking to be an investor or an experienced investor or a first-time buyer, it doesn't matter. There's quite often a little bit of planning around the situation to get you ready, to get your bank ready is what we call, what I call it. And there's a little bit of planning to do around that. And so that's just part of the process, absolutely. And I think, you know, just from my personal experience being in the property market for just over 20 years now, I have never seen this number of non-bank lenders in the market. You know, oh, yeah. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. And if they get their funding from outside New Zealand, they're not governed by the Reserve Bank rules. And so that's why we've got a couple of little products here. They've been able to secure some funding somewhere else and offer the products. So if you're keen to get into the property market, because even with the tax changes, property investing is still the best way to grow your long term wealth ready for retirement and um, get a bit of passive income for a time as well. So if you're keen to find out whether you can whether you can actually get a loan to purchase property, get in touch with the professionals at my team and yep. they'll be happy to help. Very good. Excellent. Thanks, Linda. Did you have anything yeah. else to add just before we wrap no. up? No, no, we're here to help you and look forward to helping you. Excellent. So office at my team, miteam.co.nz or 0800 8822 and they'll be ready and rearing to help. Excellent. Thanks.